Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Genesis 16, 1 to 16. Um, it's the whole chapter. You can find it right up the front of your church Bibles on page 10. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is, your, is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shua. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bia Laha Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old. When Hagar bore him Ishmael. And Father, we do uh, thank you that you're a God who speaks to us and that we have the living word in front of us, that uh, we can hear uh, about how we're called to, to live under your word, how we're called to live by Jesus, by Christ, how, how we can know you and know your character and know more about, you, about the God who is a God of promise. I do pray now, Lord, as we hear from this story in Genesis 16, that uh, this, this story in history will be one that will uh, resonate deeply with us. Uh, it will impact our hearts. It will move our hearts. And it will move us to live uh, more for you, live a life that is worthy, uh, that is pleasing to you. And I do pray for that now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this last week I came across this article in, uh, on, on the SBS website, yep, SBS News. Uh, and it was titled this. It was titled, Lending an Ear to End Loneliness in Japan. Lending an ear to end loneliness in Japan, if you want to Google it. It speaks of what the country is doing to battle the rise of suicide and depression and anxiety in the country. And the article begins with hearing from a man called, I'm going to hopefully pronounce this right, Koki Ozora. He shares about how much he struggled 
He says this, In the past, I had problems, suffering, and every day felt like hell, he shares. I wanted to die, and that feeling lasted for a long time. I didn't tell others about my problems, because there is a stigma. In Japan, we say that men have to be strong. It's a sign of weakness to rely on anyone. You see, for Koki, the hardest part of his depression was not being able to speak to anyone about how he was feeling. And so this man, uh, Koki, he started up something new. A couple of years ago, in 2020, he started up this uh, online, web-based chat hotline, 24 hours. It's called, and I'm going to butcher this as well, Anata no Ibasho. Anata no Ibasho? That's, what it, that's, what's in, that's the name of it. It means a place for you, okay? Anata no Ibasho, a place for you. It's a web-based chat hotline to prevent suicide and loneliness in Japan. He saw a need that was becoming increasingly evident in a country where loneliness and depression and suicide was ranked one of the highest in the world. Now, since they began, and since they also uh, lobbied the government to start up a, a ministry for loneliness in the government as well in this past year, it's reported that in 2022 alone, 388 lives have been saved. How awesome is that? Koki says, lending an ear and offering support can mean the difference between life and death. Talking to someone for 10 to 20 minutes. We might not solve their fundamental problem, he says, but we are able to reach out to reduce their suffering. Anata no ibasho, a place for you. Isn't that what we all want? A place where we can be heard and seen. Someone who will lend an ear so you can speak freely and vulnerably and know that someone out there genuinely cares for you and wants you to soldier on and persevere when you might feel like every day feels like hell. I know I've been there. You know, and I've been through those episodes where just darkness, dark clouds all around me for days on end, and you just, you're waiting and waiting <laughs> for a glimmer of hope. And you might be there now, suffering in silence, feeling alone, rejected, like an outcast, abandoned, anxious, ashamed, feeling the sorrow and weight of grief, because life, sometimes it's just hard. And you're not sure who to talk to. You might even feel invisible. Does anybody see me? You've been quietly crying out, does anybody hear me? You've been waiting and waiting, hoping for relief. And you're here now at church. And perhaps you're asking this question, is this God that I worship? Or the God that Christians believe in, is he even there? Will he lend an ear? Today we meet two women in our text of the Bible in Genesis who are struggling. And they're suffering. And... And I hope this will meet us in our grief as well as we read through this story. We're going to learn from them on what it looks like to respond to the God of promise, but most importantly, see who this kind and compassionate God is that we know and worship. And my hope is, and my prayer is, that we'll bring, it will bring you great comfort as you navigate through the waiting and the struggling and the suffering and the uncertainties of life you might be facing. And if that's not you at this moment, maybe it will help you serve those around you who might be in that place. Abram, our main character of this series, he's just received covenant promises, hasn't he? In, uh, in chapter 15 last week, we, we, we uh, learned about that. We're told that he trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He put his faith in God, that God will deliver his promises. What are his promises? That they will inherit a land, a place to dwell, a, a people as well, a great nation, many descendants. And thirdly, that he'll be blessed, and the people will be blessed through him a place, a people, and blessing. 
And so far we've learned, uh, heard a lot about Abram. We've heard about even his nephew Lot as well. But now God wants us to see the women in the story, the women of promise, and hear their story as well. So let's pick it up from chapter 16, verse 1. Follow along with me. It says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram and Sarai, they've yet to have any children. We know this from the very start when we're first introduced to them, all the way back in Genesis 11. Uh, 11, at the end of chapter 11, it tells us Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Uh, and now, so after Abram's given the promise, they're going to have all this you know, offspring, descendants, and they'll have a child of their own. Abram's at this point in his mid-80s. Sarai is 10 years younger, so she's in her mid-70s. How, do you, how would you feel? Right? She is getting on in age. She's getting old. Doctors will tell you, don't try to have kids too late. It's difficult the older you get, right? That's what they say. Sarah's at an age where biology is against her. So we can imagine how she feels. It would be hard. God promised Abram that they'll have a child. God, have you forgotten that promise? Ten years ago. What happened ten years ago? Can you remember what happened ten years ago? Do you remember someone making a promise to you 10 years ago? I would have probably forgotten it too at this point. But it's more than that, isn't it? For Sarai, this would have been a big deal. Think about when they live culturally in the ancient Near East, where they are. To be a wife is to be a mum. To be a wife is to be a mum and to bear children. That was what was expected of you. When you grow old, who is there to, to care for you? It's your children. Not only that, though, you, having children means you're, you're producing an heir for the family line. Her value, really, as a wife, dependent, depended on this. Abraham, Abraham, he could leave her for some young woman who could have a child. And so you can imagine that this promise from God would have been something that she was banking her life on. This is a game changer. I'm going to have a child. I've waited 70 years, and I still don't have one. This promise, God is going to open my womb, provide a child for us, fantastic. But it's been 10, young, ten long years. Is God really coming through on this promise? I can imagine that she's feeling a bit insecure at this point. She doesn't know if she can trust God in his promise. Well, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Don't you remember what you said? You promised you'd be there. You promised you'd come through for me. Where are you? And what do we often do when we find it hard to trust? What do we do when it's, it's hard to trust someone's word? We generally take matters into our own hands, don't we? I mean, anyone who's done a group assignment at university knows when someone says they'll do something, and it's like close to the deadline, you know you have to take it on yourself. Sarah here, she's taking matters into her own hands. She feels forgotten, perhaps even fearful. Fearful that whether she can be the wife that Abram needs her to be, ashamed, insecure as an infertile woman. So what does she do? She conjures up this plan. I'll have a child through a surrogate. If my body can't conceive, I'll find another way for us to have a child, her handmaiden, Hagar. Not unusual in these ancient cultures uh, for barren women to do something like this when the family needs an heir, uh, find a surrogate. So here we are with Sarah and Abram. Uh, let's not wait any longer. Let's have a baby through Hagar. She tells Abram to go sleep with her slave, her servant. What are we told? Our reading that Jim read for us in the New International Version that we have of the Bible, in our church Bibles, it says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. No backdoor, right? No questions asked. He agreed. If you have a different translation, 
Uh, perhaps the ESV, the English one in front of you, the English Standard Version, it says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And I think the choice of words there is, is pretty intentional. Because whose voice is Abram meant to be listening to? What happened in chapter 15? Just the chapter before, God spoke to Abram, didn't he? The promises were given to him. He trusted those promises. He trusted the voice of God. We got a problem here. The problem isn't that Abram listened to his wife. That's not the actual problem. The problem is whose voice Abram should be listening to? God's. I mean, if he listened to his friend's advice, there's a problem there. It's God's voice he's meant to listen to. We see Abram relying on human wisdom instead of God's. And we're supposed to see all these little um, pointers here, these little breadcrumbs that are meant to point us back to what happened all the way back in Genesis 3 at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. What happened there? We have the account of Adam and Eve where they ate the forbidden fruit, the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they disobeyed God. And the language here is meant to give us a Friday flashback. <laughs> the narrator wants us to see what's wrong with this, with this scene. Eve, she took the fruit. What did she do? She gave the fruit to her husband. Sarai took Hagar. What did Sarai do? Sarai gave Hagar to her husband. Eve led Adam to disobey God. Sarai led Abraham to disobey God. We're meant to see something, aren't we? The picture that's painful for us is one of distrust. What happens is Sarai points fingers at Abraham later as well, and the breakdown of the relationship happens between these two and between them and God. It's a throwback for us to the Garden of Eden. Let me, let me read again. Let me keep reading from verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible. You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. <sighs> the spotlight here is on the behavior of Abram and Sarah, isn't it, this first scene? And sadly, we see Sarai's behavior spiral. Yeah, Hagar's actions aren't perfect. She despises Sarai, it, but the actions of Sarai and Abram is pretty atrocious. She says, I gave your woman to sleep with, but now she's pregnant and she's disrespecting me? That's your fault. And Sarah, she's struggling with it, isn't she? Her feelings of inadequacy, and she points her finger at Abram. This is your fault. You're the reason I'm suffering. Wasn't it her plan in the beginning? But she needs to blame everyone else for the pain she's feeling. Abram, the great husband that he is, what does he do? He absolves his responsibility. Just like Adam, he says, you do, you do you. The worst advice sometimes you can give someone. He doesn't want to deal with it. Husbands at Providence, please don't be like this. Don't be passive like Abram or Adam. And Sarai loses her cool. She mistreats Hagar. That's, a, that's actually an understatement. The, the nuance, if you have a different translation, it says she dealt harshly with Hagar. And that's most likely physically, right? And let's not forget, if she's dealing physically with Hagar, she's dealing physically, abusing physically a pregnant woman here. That's not cool, Sarai. Not cool when you're the one who came up with the plan in the first place. Abram and Sarah are meant to be th these heroes in Israel's history. If you were reading this as an Israelite, reading this account, what are we discovering? Just like Adam and Eve, humanity hasn't changed. Even these two, they fail to trust God. And what we're seeing is a woman in desperation and hurt, hurt this innocent, vulnerable girl, Hagar. 
And don't we see this around us all the time? Hurting people hurt people. It's not right, but it's understandable. None of this is where we thought the story would go. Sarah is feeling the weight of her infertility. She's suffering. Now she's lashing out. But what would you do if you were Sarah? You see, while we might want to judge her and call her out for her abusive behavior, I hope we can at least sympathize with her pain. She feels the brokenness of her womb, the brokenness of her life. What good is she if she can't bring a child into this world? I can only imagine she's feeling worthless, devalued, not woman enough. Some here today might know exactly how Sarah's feeling. I can guess some here have felt the pain of infertility and have had to suffer in silence. And you feel her desperation. But even if we haven't experienced what she's going through, we've been in a place of desperation, haven't we? Surely there's no one in this room who hasn't felt desperate, who hasn't felt hopeless. Don't we make decisions that we regret sometimes? Don't we point the finger and blame others for our pain? Don't we, in our hurt, hurt others? Yeah, Sarah, her actions are despicable. Mikey, let's be honest, you've been in her shoes before. I see Sarah and I see a mirror to the times I haven't been able to wait on God's timing. When I've taken matters into my own hands and found myself in a place of hurt and hurting others through my impatience, through my shame, through my anger, through my desperation. Sarah, she's barren, she's desperate, she's ashamed, she's hurting without hope. And then we have Hagar. A slave woman rejected, abused, alone, hurting, without love. One woman is without hope, the other one without love. Hagar, we're told she's an Egyptian slave girl. And she was probably given to Abraham from, from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, back in chapter 12 when they lived there. They left there with, with treasures and spoils and all that, and they probably given Hagar at this time. You can imagine Hagar to be like a handmaiden, right? She's a personal servant under Sarai's authority. When you hear handmaiden, what do you think of? I think of Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood, dystopian fictional book, if you ever read it or watched the show. That's probably where she got the idea from. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Hagar is a handmaid to Sarah, and she's, she gets pregnant, and Sarai can't. And Hagar shows contempt, which is that she despises, she looks down on Sarai. I'm the new wife. I'm the one who can conceive. You're not good enough. But for that, she receives abuse. She's hurt, so she flees from their presence. What happens next? Let's read the next scene from verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, wait, stop. What? The angel of the Lord sought her out, sought Hagar out, and called her by name? I'm, I'm pretty sure there's nowhere in the Old Testament where God approaches a woman in person and calls her by her name. This Egyptian slave girl? She's not even one of God's people, but she's met by God. Abram and Sarai are his covenant people. But here we have the angel of the Lord, God himself, appearing to an Egyptian slave girl. I mean, if you were one of the original readers, you'd be like, why? Why did the narrator even include this part of the story? She's a foreigner. She's a woman. And she's a slave. She has no real status in society. She's not part of Israel. Who were the, re who were the recipients of the story? But isn't that exactly why this story is here for us? It's, isn't it so beautiful to show us who this God is? I love this. God approaches the most vulnerable character in this whole narrative. 
the outcast. And he shows her compassion and love and care. She's got no status. She's a foreigner living in a foreign land with a foreign culture. At a time where they had a low view of women, she's alone, she's rejected, and she's pregnant. Surely we can, we can understand, we can empathize. I mean, all our mums here who, who've been pregnant before, they, they can imagine, they can feel the plight, the misery she might be in, right? Morning sickness, nausea, sore back, sore hips, cankles, it's rough. I haven't been pregnant, I just hear about that. But my heart, my heart hurts for her. She's the pregnant mum on the crowded bus who everyone ignores and shoves around. Someone just stand up for her, stand up and offer, offer her a seat, come on. Hagar was as in, insignificant and as vulnerable as one could be. And our great, powerful, mighty God of the universe, he takes the time to seek her out and he ministers to her. The very things Abram and Sarai failed to do. And what does God do? He says, go back to your mistress, Sarai. And he gives this promise. I will increase your descendants so much so that they will be too numerous to count. Go back to Sarai? Is God saying go back to an abusive relationship? Don't hear God saying that. 100% you should get out of an abusive relationship if you're in one. Find safety. But God is not saying to return to that abuse. He's saying return and see how I'll care for you. See how I'll bless you even when others don't. You see, for Hagar, the promise is extended to her. She's given the promise of people. The promise that was given to Abram earlier, people. Well, well, here God wants to, to know, wants Hagar to know, I see you, Hagar. I see your pain. I see your grief. I see your sorrow. I will meet you where you are in your despair, and I will bless you. I will promise that I'll care for you. Hagar, the invisible, mistreated slave girl, is seen by God. What does verse 11 say? The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You, you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord... For the Lord has heard of your misery. See, the name Ishmael, it means this, the Lord has heard your misery. It means God hears your afflictions. God hears your cries. That's what Ishmael means. God comes to her aid. And it's so intentional for Hagar. This, this runaway single mother at this point, abused and abandoned, she's reminded of the God who hears her in her sorrow and misery. Names can be so powerful sometimes, right? Uh, when I call my daughter by her name, Talitha, I'm reminded of that truth of who God is. And we named her intentionally Talitha. We called her that because it's a picture for us of resurrection hope, God's goodness to us in Christ who gives us life. And so when I call her name, it brings me comfort. We've set a high standard for our second child, but that's the thing. It's meaningful to us. Now, imagine being a mother and you've gone through all this hardship. You've experienced brokenness, but you look at your son. What are you reminded of? His name is Ishmael. Every time you call his name in the morning, come, come to the breakfast table, get out of bed, get dressed, come and play, Ishmael, Ishmael. Wouldn't that name bring you comfort? God has heard my cries of affliction. God hears me. Hagar is given a son who is to remind her of God's compassion and grace every time she calls his name. But not only has God heard me, God sees me too. Verse 13, let's read it. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. How amazing is this? Hagar names God. We should all be going, what? God seeks Hagar out first, and now Hagar sees God and is naming God? Who names God? 
she's the first in the pages of the Bible to give him a name. The Hebrew name here, you are the God who sees me. The Hebrew word, the words for this is El Roy, right? So that R-O-I that we read in verse 14, El Roy. El is a Hebrew short for God. Roy, this seen by God. The God who sees me, El Roy. God hears my cries. God sees my pain. El Roy means I'm not invisible. I'm not unseen. I do have a name. I can be known. I can know love and care. I'm not abandoned, rejected, and alone. I have a God who sees me. I bear the image of my creator. I am valued, respected, and have dignity. Hagar, she was just a slave girl, an object to be traded, a womb for hire. She was never truly seen. But God meets her in her sorrow. My God hears me. My God sees me. My God is with me. He's a God I can trust in. Friends, doesn't knowing the God of Genesis 16 give you comfort? This God reaches out to the lonely. He reaches out to those who are suffering. He reaches out to the voiceless, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the abused, the ashamed, the fearful, the weak. And he says, I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Yeah, people think the God of the Old Testament is different to the New Testament. I often hear that. They say the Old Testament God is angry and vengeful and egotistical. But right here in the early pages of the Bible, we see a picture of God who has a heart that is tender and caring and compassionate and loving and gracious to this young, vulnerable outcast. Isn't this the God of the New Testament too? You can read this in your own time, but many years later in John chapter 4, it's, it's a long account, so I'm not going to read it today, but we read about the Son of God who comes, and, sh and He meets a woman by the well as well, a Samaritan woman, a foreigner, an outcast, alone, who has been searching for peace and comfort and love for her weary heart. Jesus meets her where she is. He speaks to her needs. He sees her, He hears her, and He offers her living water, giving her a, a hopeful future. But see, this Jesus is the one who comes to you and I, we who at times feels like, feel like the foreigner, the outcast, the oppressed, alone, ashamed, and weak. In Jesus, we have met El Roy, the God who sees us and sees our greatest needs. And when we look to the cross of Jesus, we see the God who hears our cries. Not only sees, but experiences our pain. He carries our burdens with Him and our wretched sin, the brokenness we feel in this world, the, the mess we make, the abuse that we've dealt and received. He takes it all upon Himself. And he dies on a cross, and he says, it's finished. We have a God who is faithful in Jesus, who says, come to me and find comfort in your anxiety, in your loneliness, in your pain. And in Jesus, we have the God who keeps his promises. He promises to bring us home to God. How will you and I respond to this God? Sarah knew the promises of God were for her, but the feelings of shame of fear, of uncertainty, drove her to take matters into her own hands. She felt God had abandoned her, so she turned to her own devices to fix her pain, to fix her hurt. And in doing so, she hurt the innocent around her. In her hurt, she turned away from God and disobeyed Him. Friends, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how you've been feeling, the struggles you might have or are enduring. I don't know the loneliness, the anxiety or hurt that you've experienced, but please come to the cross of Christ and see him there who loves you and says, I promise I'll always be there for you. I know some of us have struggled for a long time. Perhaps it is infertility or a miscarriage, losing a loved one, or your heart was just never 
your heart has just never really been able to be repaired from being broken. Some of us have been struggling in singleness. It's rough. Every time you get invited to another wedding, see another couple photo on social media, not to be included on double dates, which, come on church, we need to really do better at, being inclusive about. I've only been told how hard it is by many of my single church friends. And so I can imagine many of you have been praying to God about that. You feel the loneliness. God, provide for me someone who I can love and be loved by. Perhaps it's not that. Perhaps you've been waiting years and years for your mental health to improve. But it just keeps spiraling out of your control. Just when you thought you were managing it well, you go through another episode of anxiety or depression, and you can't stop feeling miserable. The voices in your head are so loud, and you can't help but feel unworthy, useless, anxious, alone. Man, I I know how that feels. It's easy to turn to our devices in those moments, isn't it? We look for love in the wrong places. We justify to our heart that it's okay. It's okay if they don't love Jesus. They love me. And that makes me feel good. And surely that's okay because God wants me to be happy. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we justify? Isn't that what our hearts tell us? For others, we, we down another bottle. We take another pill just to feel a little better. We drown ourselves in work hoping our careers will satisfy. We splurge our money. We binge on Netflix or TikTok or YouTube. Maybe even turn to porn. All in the hope to numb ourselves and run away from the pain or the fear the loneliness, heartache, or anxiety, hoping that the misery and despair will go away, even if it's just a temporary fix. But then we discover, don't we, that it often just amplifies the problem even more. What if we were to faithfully wait on God? What if we were to faithfully wait on God and, to, and, and trust Him? This God who meets Hagar in, in her despair. I can't say God promises to give you what your heart desires. He doesn't. God isn't some genie or lucky charm. He might give you what you want. He might not. He doesn't promise that. But he promises to give you what you need. He promises to give you himself. He, the God who sees you, promises you that there will be a day where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt, no more tears in his presence. You and I, the promise for us in Jesus is that we get to be with God, the God who sees us. And the God who hears us, the God who has saved us through the sacrifice of his son. And he calls you and me to trust and to wait. Will you do that? He invites you to cry out to him. Yes, do that. Cry out to him in prayer. He wants you to depend on him and find hope. Will you seek him out in faith? And will you wait on him? Will you wait on his promises for you? Even through the hardships and the suffering you're going through. He calls us to wait in patient anticipation, in faithfulness, with courage, with hope, and to be comforted because he does hear your cry. He does see your pain. And he will give you living water from the bottomless, overflowing well of grace and love in Jesus. Anata no ibasho. All right, a place for you. I shared, uh, I shared earlier about the situation in Japan, the action that organizations are taking to battle loneliness and that epidemic over there. But if we're to be honest, loneliness and anxiety isn't just an issue over there. It's everywhere. We all need someone to lend an ear. We need connections and relationships. And yes, sometimes we definitely need to go see doctors and counselors when our mental health spirals, 100%. But friends, today I wanted to show you the good and great God that 
is himself a place for you. In him, we can find an anchor of hope for our souls. He is the God who meets us in our despair. He brings comfort in our grief. And he has promised to always be with us. Let's pray. El Roy, we come before you as the God who knows us and sees us, who hears our cries. And we come before you, Lord, seeking your love, seeking your grace, seeking your mercy for our sin. We come before you with our brokenness, with our mess. We come before you, Lord, asking for comfort and peace and security, knowing that our hearts don't often feel that sometimes. And sometimes for some of us, Lord, we, are, we feel like we're suffering. We feel like we're in pain. We feel like no one understands what we're going through. I do pray, Lord, that you'll show us Christ, the one who went before us, who was tempted in every way, who suffered at the hands of men and was crucified on the cross for us. Help us to see our Lord who loves us, died, who died on the cross for us. Help us to see him and to see the comfort and peace that comes from him. Help us, Lord, in doing so to, to wait with courage and patience and faithfulness, knowing you are the God who is a promise keeper, the God who does deliver on what you say. Help us to know and be confident that we have this great hope. We have the hope of heaven. We get to be with you one day. And help us, Lord, may that secure, may, may that give us the security we need so that we can, get, we can persevere, so that we can go on another day. Help us to find hope in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.